promote and um and so on today's show free aslan will be um once again talking about the book tortured by blue chicago police torture story and uh we're gonna have interviews from many of the um people involved in that um and the you know we're gonna get updates and um see what's happening in that story and learn about um, how the people were tortured in Chicago. And But before that, um, you know, I want to talk, of course, uh, some news from Aslam Press concerning the gladiator fights and, you know, and, and, and what can be seen as, you know, possibly the largest gladiator fight um, in U.S. history, um, you know, where over 200 people in Soledad prison um, in the last few weeks, um, were used as gladiators, uh, over 200 people, and many people got hurt, many people were hospitalized, and this was all provoked by the state, um, and, um, you know, the prison guards, and this has been going on for decades, um, if, you know, if not longer, you know, um, and probably hundreds of years outside of prisons, but, you know, within the U.S. prison system, um, definitely for decades, this has been an organized effort uh, by the state. Um, and this is um, done for entertainment purposes, uh, for it's done for gambling, you know, it's gun, it's it's done um, in order to assassinate uh, certain prisoners. Um, it's just done for the most cruelest of intentions. And we've known it um, for many years, those who've been in these concentration camps. Um, you know, I personally experienced it. They used me as a human gladiator. I've seen it. I've seen friends uh, go through it. it. It's almost like a, a fact of life in there. It becomes um, second nature. It's like, um, you know, waking up and, you know, drinking a cup of coffee. It's it's just a fact of prison life and and it's not supposed to be like that and unfortunately the prisoners you know come to see it as um you know part of part of life like you know nothing out of the ordinary and this is very wrong and and it's just a matter of the people adapting to their oppression and their their you know um and what they're um what they're going through uh in these concentration camps and so that's why it's very important that um, you know, we continue to educate not only people out here, but also um, help those inside to realize that it's not okay and this is not the way um, prison is, um, nor should it be, and support those who are organizing inside. And, you know, they're doing a lot of things. There's hunger strikes and all kinds of uh, ways that people are resisting and we need to support that in every way and you know especially the families that are organizing out here uh, because their loved ones are being used as as human gladiators so that's very wrong we want to stop that on other news i want to mention that um, august the month of august marks the 49th anniversary of the chicano moratorium and this was the largest uh, Chicano resistance um, e um, event uh, action in uh, within these false U.S. borders. Uh, and you know, this is the 49th anniversary of that. Uh, and and it's the Chicano Nation uh, organizing against 
uh, the military of the United Snakes. So this is something that we want to support. We want to promote. We want to educate um, everybody on it and, and, and make sure that people are participating wherever the events are held. There's going to be events, I uh, believe, in Hayward. And um, there was um, the Chicana Moratorium in Frisco um, that I attended. And it was a beautiful event. Um, you know, uh, there's also going to be the uh, Chicano Moratorium event in Oakland. There's going to be one in San Jose. There's going to be one in Los Angeles. Um, and beyond, there's, you know, people are celebrating in different way, commemorating uh, this event, beautiful act of resistance, and we're going to support it as well. Uh, in San Jose, the Chicano Mexicano Resistance, uh, a group of uh, Chicano Mexicano people who are, are organizing in the interest of uh, self determination for Raza, um, are h holding an event. And it's going to be at the Peace and Justice Center on uh, Saturday, uh, August 31st. Um, and it's going to be at uh, noon, from noon to 3 p.m. There's going to be uh, film showing and some speakers as well. So the Peace and Justice Center on 7th Street, uh, right by the university, just, you know, um, find it, uh, you know, however you need to find it on online the Peace and Justice Center, San Jose, and I will be there, so I will be seeing you uh, there. So, you know, bring your family, bring your children, your neighbors, brothers, sisters, friends, everyone needs to come and learn about the Chicano Moratorium and how uh, Aslan has resisted and is continuing to mobilize and resist. And these events are going on uh, all over California and beyond in other states as well, and this is just... Uh, you know, we're preparing for next year because next year is the 50th anniversary and this is that's going to be uh, the Big Bang. So we want to get ready and prepare this year and learn what we could and so that we can organize for next year. And that's what we are going to do. But on today's show, I do have a, a co-host, uh, my co-host B., and B is here. Uh, welcome. Uh, thank you for co-hosting B on Free Aslan. Thank you for having me. All Can right. I piggyback on your plug about the event? Absolutely. I highly, highly, highly recommend everyone please go to that event, mm. event in San Jose. The film that they're going to be showing, I've seen it, and uh, it was really incredible. An incredible film with lots of amazing information. Highly recommend it. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. And thank you, B, for... Uh, co-hosting today and um, so we have uh, let me let me start this uh, interview with the first guest um, I want to um, introduce uh, Joan Parkin and Joan is a professor an author activist former coordinator of Chicago's Death Row 10 and former director and co-founder of California's Incarcerated Student Program, and she still teaches in prisons. Uh, Joan, welcome to Free Aslan. Hi, Joey. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming and bringing us um, some very good information. Um, this is um, in regards to... Uh, the book uh, that I mentioned earlier, it's Tortured by Blue, 
the Chicago police torture story. And um, I remember hearing this um, this story in the news, and it was about the police station, the police department, um, that I guess their headquarters was basically um, used as a torture center. And, and I remember I was actually in the concentration camp uh, watching um, and hearing about this story, and, um, and I remember that um, it just, you know, I, I was... I was amazed that, you know, these people were, you know, tortured and, you know, and, and framed for crimes that they did not commit. And then uh, to know that they actually, uh, some of them actually walked out and, and somewhere on death row and stuff. It was incredible to learn about that. But let me, um, you know, that's just a rough, basically a rough draft uh, of what occurred but we we would like to hear from you if you can um you know um fill us in and give us some um you know background to this story and what occurred sure joey thanks um so uh, let's, uh, let me let me say that the book torture by blue the chicago police story is one that is long overdue uh because not only does it tell the tale the vicious tale of a torturing operated by veteran police uh, officers for over 20 years on Chicago's South Side, but it also tells the story of the activist grassroots struggle organized by prisoners, activists on the outside, and their family members that eventually won some of their freedom. And so um, everyone really has to get this book to get the full picture of what happened in Chicago. But, you know... It's really horrific. I mean, for over 20 years, Police Commander John Burge, a veteran police commander, and over 12 veteran detectives operated with impunity um, at torturing out of Area 2 and Area 3 in the south side of Chicago. They used methods um, such as electroshock, suffocation, brutal beating, Russian roulette, uh, cattle cross, and other instruments to force mostly black men uh, to, to confess the crimes that they did not commit. The consequence of this 20-year torture reign led to over 100 men being railroaded to prison and over 12 being railroaded to death row in Illinois. Uh, eventually, Burge was fired. This is Commander John Burge. He was fired in 1993. The whole thing blew up thanks to the People's Law Office and an earlier grassroots struggle. Um, the word got out, and um, he was let go. He was let go with a full pension, mind you, and he retired to Florida. All the other detectives didn't face any charges at all and continued to keep their jobs. But what's even worse is all the torture victims remained in prison and 12 of them remained on death row. Mm. So you flash forward to 1998, and the prisoners themselves on death row decided to organize a campaign called the Death Row 10 campaign. At that point, there was only, um, we only, they only knew about 10 of them that were um, tortured by Burge. They organized this campaign by creating a flyer on the inside and then reaching out to the campaign to end the death penalty, which is a national abolitionist organization, and asked them to create a campaign, a public campaign, on the outside. And so I had just moved from New York 
and I was asked to be the coordinator of that campaign, so I was lucky enough to be at the right time and the right place. And um, we started right from the beginning on the streets. We organized with the family members of the Desto Pen, people like Luba Bell, the mother of Ronnie Kitchen, Jeanette Johnson, the mother of Stanley Howard, Costella Cannon, and uh, many other mothers, sisters, brothers. Um, and we hit the street. What was what allowed the torturing to happen and what allowed the cover-up to continue was not just dirty cops that were trying to get... Um, trying to get these confessions, but it was the men in suits. It was the state's attorney's office and judges that knew this pattern and practice of torture had existed and um, continued to um, cover it up because they benefited, frankly. Um, Mayor Daly was the state's attorney at the time when all of this was going on. State's attorney Dick Devine, who was the state's attorney when we were running the Death Row 10 campaign, he was the assistant to state's attorney. Um, um, the state's attorney daily. And what many people may not know that if when someone has confessed, quote-unquote, the state's attorney has to come into the room and sign off on the confession. So these state's attorneys heard over and over again these very specific details about alligator clips being attached to their ears and alligator clips being attached to their testicles and the black box, this, this, this small generator, the verge crank, literally crank cranking it and cranking it and cranking it and charged over 100 volts of electricity into their body. Wow. They heard about this over and over again, so they knew it had happened. So it mm. was kind of like, um, right, when we arrived in Chicago and started organizing the campaign, we started to, uh, we focused on the state's attorney's office. We've got big, huge posters of the death row 10. We told the stories. The media just glommed onto us. I mean, we were getting, like, big centerfolds in the sun times the moment we hit the street. And we just, we did not stop. We were basically this unstoppable force. And at the same time, percolating was a movement against the death penalty in Illinois. And we were able to show that the death penalty in Illinois needed to be abolished because it was racist. Because you cannot have a system that gives people the ultimate punishment when you cannot trust the, the, the prosecutors, you cannot trust the judges, and you cannot trust the police. And so it, was, it became a perfect storm. Um, Northwestern, the, the attorneys at Northwestern, the People's Law Office, all of us started work work together and created this huge campaign that eventually reached the governor. And on a historic day, Governor Ryan, um, in 2002, at first at DePaul University, he said, today, the famous words, I am going to be a friend. <laughs> to Stanley Howard, Aaron Patterson, Ronnie Kitchen, and Leroy Orange and Madison Hobley, and I am going to pardon them. And four of them actually went off death row, and uh, not, well, actually, no, three of them, because Ronnie actually didn't have a pardon filed. It took, a, it took a minute to get the DNA cleared to get Ronnie out, and Stanley was still in another case. But three of them walked off death row and onto the street, which has as far as I know, this never happened. But it's not just a conversation, but they actually were freed. And then the next day at Northwestern, before a worldwide audience, Governor Ryan said, I will no longer, quoting um, uh, Justice Blackburn, I will no longer tinker with the machinery of death and will commute all 176 death, death sentences to life without parole. Because in one swipe of a pen, he, there was no one left on death row. And he cited 
the torture issue and racism at the core of Illinois' death penalty system as the reason that he was doing the commutation. So what people don't know, they, they saw Governor Ryan, they saw the attorneys, but the story that they've never heard was the grassroots struggle, the bottom-up struggle that actually led to put enough pressure on the system that it finally broke open and set people free. Wow. So um, that's... Uh, that's part of the tale. <laughs> wow, incredible, incredible story, and I, I I like how you you mentioned you pointed out a very um, a very important um, uh, truth is that within this organizing that you were a part of, that um, it was with the families that this organizing began, and and when you when you talked about the organizing for. Um, the death row prisoners, um, the death row 10, and it was with the families that this organizing began, and, and we could see the parallel with uh, with the hunger strikes. It was with the families that the hunger strikes in California uh, against the concentration camp and the um, solitary confinement, it was with the families that this whole process of organizing began so um every time that we see anything to do with prisons and those in the concentration camps this organizing seems to always begin with the families the families are uh that's the engine uh in 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 these organizing um actions uh when it comes to prisons and and maybe beyond that and other cases as well but um, one of the, another thing that um, I found, um, you know, uh, of the, um, you know, you, you mentioned the racism in the prisons, you know, this racism, and it's, it's horrible, and, you know, we look at it in many facets of society, racism, and, you know, and, 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 and we can actually see that this racism is actually um, forms of national oppression that we are encountering, uh, in in the communities, and this is what um, this national oppression is. What uh, ensures that you know mostly brown and black people are placed in these prisons at overwhelming rates. When we know uh, from uh, statistics that you know more whites use drugs in these false U.S. borders, and more whites are committing crimes and i mean just only if if only because uh whites are the largest population within um the u.s and you know for that reason there's going to be larger concentrations um you know at the very least that's a, a very logical conclusion of um but nonetheless it happens there's more whites using drugs you know more whites and so we see this and yet we see the brown and black people that are uh, just stuffed at overwhelming rates inside the prisons and that's i mean a stark example of national oppression of anything you know if nothing else is that's like you know very blatant but you know it's incredible that you guys were able to organize and 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 make this uh beautiful um you know uh, action happen where they were taken off of death row and the alwaps you know the um life without parole i know that you know many uh prisoners um believe that you know it's actually to be given somebody life without parole and, and i know the governor and 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 you know 
maybe the governor may have seen it as a good thing and you know in one way you know one aspect it may be good um in another uh, i know there's also many death row prisoners who say that given life without parole is actually worse because um they never see uh light at the end of the tunnel and it's almost like a living torture um where right. they will have to right. just um continue in that manner right could i could i say something to Absol- that? absolutely so yeah life without parole is is, is 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 horrific and we need to get rid of life without parole i actually think we need to abolish the prison but that's another radio show mm. yeah. um but um at right after the commutations i got the opportunity to, to visit um uh menard prison where many of the men that had been on death row were now um now in general population and the feeling of elation was, it, you couldn't even put into words. Mm. And so I know I, I often hear that, that, well, life without parole is worse, but you have to talk to a man that has spent years of his life on death row with a date to die. And then all of a sudden, although a life without parole prison sentence is a, is a torture of its, in, of its own, it is another day to fight. And many of the men that were given life without parole sentences were later able to um, prove that they had been tortured and freed. So it gives them time to fight. Right. If, if nothing else, it is better than 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 the final than the final um, than having a date to die and Absolutely. to be executed. One uh, more thing I want to yeah. say, though, Torture by Blue ends with a list of those that are still many of whom are still locked up. The story um, continues. The, the most important thing about the book is not a history lesson, but it's that there are still many torture victims that are still being held in Illinois prison <sighs> and um, that, that it can't get out. And so there needs to be a renewed activist struggle um, to get that to happen. And you're going to talk tonight to um, Mark Clemens and Martin Reed and to Michelle Howard, the wife of Stanley Howard, and they're going to talk to you about what's going on in Chicago right now, and their grassroots efforts to point to paint um, to put a spotlight on those that remain behind, because that's that's what it, the key of what we did and what it, every activist struggle does that is um, successful is to put a human face on it. Because the reason they were able to get away with this for so many years is because they had utterly dehumanized these guys through the law and order racist campaign lock them up, throw away the key that went on for the 30 years, going from Nixon all the way up to President Clinton, uh, to build that mass incarceration with over half the people in prison, black and Latinas. So when you put a human face on it, when you individualize them and you talk about them and their lives, when they see their mothers up there, that makes it much harder for them to get away with it. So these guys are putting a human face right now, and they're going to mention some of the names of the guys that are still locked up. And so for your listeners out there, any support at all, get the book, but also you can write in and find out ways that you too can be involved in the struggle. Um, Michelle uh, Howard will give the name of the website um, that you can connect with that campaign that's happening in Chicago right now. Mm, Wonderful. Joan, this is B. I have a question for you. If you have a sense of if this was just happening in Chicago or if it's happened at other stations or other or other cities or other states um that's an excellent question um you know 
my first answer to this is the only way it would have been able to happen in Chicago with that kind of severity is because it's okay to torture black and brown people in America. It's okay to beat them up, to brutalize them, to force them to confess the crimes they didn't do. That's why we have over half the people in prison are black and Latino. So, on the one hand, the United States criminal justice system is racist to the bone, unjust, unfair, and it allowed um, something like this to occur. As far as specifically, there was um, in northern, uh, further up in Chicago, under a cop named Gavala, there were other police torture cases, but not specifically the way that we heard the details was burged in terms of electroshock, not that I know of. So I haven't heard about anything as egregious. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, because when you think about it, Burge was fired in 93, and no one, most people in America would never even have heard of the torture after that. But because of that unique struggle, um, we were able to put a spotlight in. So I would, I would bet anything that there are similar torture rings, but I've, I have not heard about them specifically exactly like the case of John Burge. He learned to do it supposedly in Vietnam. It's called the Tucker Telephone Bar, and they used to use it against the Viet Cong. And so he used that method on Chicago prisoners. But again, the only reason it was able to occur is because of the system, um, the racist system that exists in the United States. So I'm sure maybe people will call in on the show, and you'll start to hear about other examples of it. Um, in other places. I mean, we, the Central Park Five, we saw that kind of brutality, but I know that it's a police brutality is horrific no matter how it happens, but they definitely crossed the line and they started electroshocking people. Because also the fact they did it for 20 years. I mean, they, they, could, they could get away with something like that shows how corrupt the system was. Um, so, yeah, I don't know about any specific cases nationwide that use electroshock that operated for that long, but I'm sure there are similar cases. Yeah, and I could probably mention a couple of cases that I've personally um, went through as well. Um, I know they were an electric shock, but, you know, in California with the Pelican Bay Shoe, we had things like, you know, people being boiled in tubs of hot scalding water where their skin fell off of them. Uh, we've had people killed, uh, shot, you know, the guards would actually open their doors, they would come out um, with, you know, in a gladiator fight and the guards would shoot them and kill them. And so, you know, um, you know, gas, there's the psychological torture, there's um, isolation for 40 years. I mean, America has a long history of torture and I think Tortured by Blue is a great, it's a great um, picture of how the torture manifested in Chicago, um, but absolutely um, America has been torturing for hundreds of years in different ways and in different states um, by the police or the prison guards, and it's, it's horrible. We're continuing to... Um, to go through it and you know and to deal with it and struggle against it but i think that this book is a great contribution to the people understanding uh the many forms of torture 
um, issued out by the pigs and also how the people are resisting as well. So we're going to learn more of that, Joan, but I'm going to have to take a short break with some music uh, and then uh, I'm going to have to let you go and that way we can um, contact the next uh the next uh person that's going to be on the show and i believe that's marvin reeves so um we'll talk to you again and we'll have you on again on free aslan joan and thank you very much for uh sharing your story and providing some background uh context for us well thank you so much joey for having me on your show great show oh thank you joan Thanks, and, joan. and thank th- you and this is KEXU 96.1 FM, Paul People's Revolutionary Radio. I'm JV, and here is some music. FM, and you're back on Free Aslan. And I got the next uh, person uh, that's going to be on the show, and that is Marvin Reeves. Marvin, uh, welcome to Free Aslan. Uh, One more time, uh, Marvin. That's it. Thank you. Oh. I'm glad to be a participant on the show. Oh, oh, excellent, excellent, brother. Thank you. And, you know, and I want to say thank you for, um, you know, for all of the listeners because it's not every day that we get to hear torture survivors on the air. And, you know, also as a fellow uh, torture survivor myself, you know, uh, and they had me for a decade in the, in the you know, concentration camp in Pelican Bay Shoe. Um, I know that, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of struggles to get through that and then to be out here and to continue to not only uh, live your life and to exist, um, but then to also educate others 
you know, because you could have very well have um, came out here, lived your life, went on about your business, and um, forgot about those you left behind and the uh, perpetrators, the oppressors that, um, you know, that inflicted this, this torture. But, you know, you, you're, you're out here educating the people, so I want to, you know, applaud you for that because I know that's not an easy thing to do when you are dealing with so much uh, uh, as it is. Um, you know, but, I, but anyway, I want to talk to you about this book, Tortured by Blue. Um, and, you know, and you, how long were you in prison, uh, brother? How long were you in prison for, for this situation? Well, I, um, I served 21 years. Um, I got out uh, in 2007. Um, I got out in July. And I think it was a beautiful thing when I was free because they gave hope for the next person. And I think it would be a shame out of all the fighting that I've been doing and seeing what I've seen after my, after my incarceration, a lot of other brothers that were wrongfully convicted like myself fighting for their freedom. Mm. So, I have to be a soldier for the cause. Mm. And the day I set foot back in society, I took off running. Mm. Looking, asking for help, because I want the same thing for those guys that I wanted for myself. Mm. And when I got locked up, I didn't know how I would get freedom. But you got to understand that these people came together, they marched, they knocked on doors, they talked to legislators, and they explained to them that it was a great injustice did in Chicago by John Burge. Mm. And with, you got so many people banging on doors and asking questions that made them understand that, hey, it's not going to go away. Mm. And Governor Wise, I take my hat off to him. He suffered a great suffer for what he did. But what he did, I think the Lord put it on his heart because he said he was in office for four years. And for what he seen in that four years, he could no longer execute another man in Illinois. And he put a moratorium on the death penalty. And he said, I know there's been people here longer than me than seeing what I've seen. And what we have to stop doing we have to stop the politicians from prosecuting the whistleblowers when they tell on themselves. The man took a, he, he took an oath to hold office. And when he held that office, he held it to the highest cause. Even though they put him in jail for what he did, I don't see where he did nothing wrong. And that's where the book comes in and talks about Bill. We sit down and we put that book together because we want everybody in America to know that in Chicago, these things went on. In other cities, these things went on. You know, not only just John Birch, you got rural cops everywhere you go. Why? Because you have the politicians want to turn a black eye. And it's up to us as the people not to let them turn a black eye. You got to realize, they're in office because we elect them. 
when I feel like when we're left walking, we need to hold their feet to the fire. It's a lot of gas that's locked up monthly to get to like our rules. And this book will tell you some stories that your eyes wouldn't believe if you seen it. But it's a true fact. This man did this for 30 years. Why was he able to do that? He was able to do that because the politicians turned a blind eye to what was going on. Better you and me. That same old slave mentality. When are we going to get rid of that? They keep talking about that slave mentality is dead, and I don't believe it. It's still alive. We're only kicking the day, especially in Chicago. Absolutely. All you got to do is be the wrong color and walk down the wrong street. You'll find yourself somewhere where you've never been before, like accused of crime and tossing fear for the rest of your life, not knowing how you're going to get out. Like I said, we wrote this book for that purpose. We want people to read it, and we want people to understand it. Like I say, Torture by Bill is a true story. What happened in Chicago to guys like me, Mark Clemens, Stanley Howard, Ronnie Kitchen, and a host of others. People still locked up fighting for their life. You know, you think they'll turn on the justice system and say, well, if this guy did this here, chances are we need to have somebody look into these guys' case. They don't even want to look into these guys' case. Because they want somebody to turn a blind eye. That's no good, not in America. You got to realize, we start wars over in other countries for what this man did in Chicago. So I think everybody in the United States should know about him. You should raise your hand and say, I won't stand for it. Everybody votes count. When it comes to electing these public officials, hold their feet to the fire. Do you know what I would do if I had immunity? That's what they give these state standards. I don't feel that they should have immunity. I feel if you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, justice should serve you the same way it served me. If I was to get caught with my hand in the cookie jar. And the thing is, America has had their hand in the cookie jar since the first settler stepped foot on this continent. But absolutely, I agree 100% with you, brother. And I know that uh, the slave mentality still exists. Uh, I know that, you know, uh, speaking, you know, uh, as a Chicano man, that um, the slave mentality for us is... Uh, very visible in this, uh, you know, we, we got these elections with people like Julian Castro, who um, is the number one slave when it comes to the Chicano nation. But, you know, absolutely, the people are still uh, colonized mentally, and we do need a new political system, one where, um, you know, the oppressors are not involved and where our people do find justice because the U.S. prison system um, is an injustice system and we will never find justice uh, attempting to um, rehabilitate the American uh, penal system. We're not going to do it. So uh, absolutely, I agree with you, brother, that um, there are many changes that need to be uh, made. And I think this book, you know, um, it, it lays out for those who don't understand that, 
that um, there is something seriously wrong, and um, it was very unjust of what occurred in Chicago, and that um, the people do need justice, and, um, you know, we need justice, uh, you know, personally, I don't think it's going to come from the court system, I think it's going to come from the people uh, themselves, you know, so, absolutely, so that's a beautiful thing right there, that uh, hopefully uh, people could get this book, and um, they could learn more about the story uh, of what's what occurred over there in the torture camps. Right, right, because you got to realize once you read the book, the book will start your mind and wonder, and you have to ask yourself a question. What would I want somebody to do if it was me? Uh. And I'm here in America. You would want somebody to stand up for you and mm. do what's right. Absolutely. And that's all we ask. We're not asking for no great big old fables. We're not asking to wave no one. Huh? We're asking for justice. Because justice denied for one is justice denied for all. That's it. That's it. That's all. Marvin, this is B. I'm a co-host on here tonight. I had a question for you. Um, were you one of the original ten folks who was uh, raising the uh, raising the issue and you know organizing the other prisoners? Say that again. When Joan was on, she was talking about there was a group of ten original people inside. Death Row Ten. Yeah, the Death Row Ten. Yeah, that was that was my um that was my co-defendant, uh, Ronald Kitchen, a bunch of guys that was on death row, right. and they were seeking legal help. And a lot of those guys had been going back and forth to the law library studying law. So they came up, they advised a plan. They say, if we work from this side, would y'all work from our side? And that's where Joan and them came in at. Joan and them came in where they work from outside. And these guys, Death Row 10, they act as lawyers. And what they did, they did mark cases and they talked about their case and other people's cases where guys were wrongly convicted. Mm. And then, you know, Joan and them say, hey, Maybe these guys got something going on. And they went out there and they knocked on doors. And just so happened, Governor Ryan answered their cry. You never know who's listening. That's why you got to keep beating the pavement. Because you never know when they want somebody. Let me tell you something. When me and my co-defendant start fighting for our freedom, you'd be surprised of the politicians in Chicago. They got on the bandwagon. Yeah, and that... When we took time out to try to prosecute John Burge. Mm. You know, I mean, and then, like I said, they did it in a sneaky way. That's politics at its best form. Mm. You know, statute of limitations ran out. Mm. They wouldn't even put him in jail if he wouldn't have got up there and say what? Who, me, torture? I ain't touching nobody. No, plead the fifth like everybody else and keep your freedom. Mm. But he was so dumb, he didn't plead the fifth. He said, who me? I didn't touch nobody. Man, we got you because we can prove it. He oh. proved it himself. Yeah. For him to be so smart, he was dumb. Oh. <laughs> There's a man in all of them like this, but it's up to us to pull it up out of them. Yeah. Like I said, we might not be able to do everybody, but... You can build a great wall one brick at a time. And that's what we try to do. We try to build a great wall one brick at a time. We don't want this here 
John Burns saying to be swept under the rug yeah. like Chicago wanted to be. We want to keep it alive and well. That's why we beat the pavement in every chance we get. We speak about it. We talk about it. Because we don't want it to go away. Absolutely. It's beautiful, brother. Thank you for speaking about it. And we're going we're gonna to have to let you go and bring on the next uh, Mark. We're going to bring Mark on next, brother. But thank you for sharing your story. Hey, and you continue to keep educating. Giving me this hour on your radio show. Thank you so much. And Lord... It's always in the blessing business. And let us not never forget that. I love y'all, and y'all take care. Okay, we love you too, brother. Thank you. All right. And this is KEXU 96.1, and we're going to hear some more music again. Be back in a minute. And this is KEXU 96.1 FM. I'm JV, and you're back on Free Aslan. And our next guest we have is Mark Clements, and uh, he is the co-author and torture of Tortured by Blue. He's also the learning coordinator 
for the Chicago Justice Torture Center. Mark, uh, welcome to Free Aslan. And it is a privilege uh, to join uh, and to participate in this discussion about Tortured by Blue and about uh, the other injustices that have affected so many men and women all across this globe. Mm. Yes, it has, and it continues to affect us all. And uh, yes. this is, you know, Free Aslan um, pays a lot of attention to the concentration camps or what some call the prison system because we know that uh, the U.S. prison system is a tool. It's a weapon uh, used by the state. It's used um, in order um, to target um, those, um, the oppressed nation's people, mostly brown and black and First Nations people as well. So um, we um, make sure that uh, the, the U.S. prison system gets a lot of attention on this show. You know, we make sure we tend to their needs um, as best we could in that, in that aspect. But, you know, we just heard a lot of stories uh, from um, different people. We heard from Joan, we heard from mm -hmm. Marvin Reeves, and they shed a lot of light on what occurred, uh, how it occurred, and how people came together, um, how it was on the inside, and how people organized. Um, and so what, you know, my first question to you would be, um, how did this experience of you getting involved in this struggle, how did it change you, and how are you continuing um, to carry on uh, what you learned from this process of struggle? Well, you know, uh, I was one of the youngest individuals that was taken down to a police station in 1981, Area 3 Violent Crimes. Hmm. And, um, man, I was, no other way to explain it. I was beat. I was called uh, racial epithets. Uh, I was called nigger boy so many times that I thought that was my name. Uh, I had my genitals and testicles grabbed and, squ and squeezed, uh, and basically by uh, one of the detectives told that I would uh, need to cooperate. Uh, wow. The tortures did not just occur to me once, but it occurred to me two different times. And being a 16-year-old, mm. my parents was never contacted. Wow. Uh, I did not have meaningful access to a youth officer, mm. and I was just basically left at the liberty of Chicago police officers. And, you know, taken down to the police station and mistreated, and now there's a confession. Uh, well, uh, I was tried. I was convicted. Uh, not one witness testified against me, but the confession. And uh, I was given four counts of natural life. I, I am one of those juvenile LWAPs uh, that sat inside of our prison system for 28 years mm. of his life until uh, a person who I would like to call my hero uh, reached out and saved me, Bernadine Dorn. And I don't know if you know who Bernadine and William Ayers is, but uh, if it was not for them, uh, I would be still literally, you know, in prison uh, as a innocent individual 
uh, crying and screaming and trying to raise awareness about what took place with me. But uh, out here in this society, a lot of people close their ears to what affects other people. And that's what makes it so difficult because John Burge should not have continued to torture people from 1972 until 1991. And there is still, this day, over 100 men, and there is even women that uh, experience this awful torture at the hands of police. None of these individuals should be inside of a prison. And, you know, I am one, and I deal with the criminal justice system each and every day, but I am one who believes that even if those individuals did commit their crimes, police officers had no right, no business to torture those individuals. And, you know, due process to me, it looks like the integrity of justice. And that is something that we are missing as a whole. There's no integrity of justice. And to just give you an idea, there is a young man still in the prison by the name of Joel Reed, who was granted a hearing on his claim in 2012, and still this day, he is still awaiting uh, a new trial. So, you know, I have a problem with how our criminal justice system treats us, and that was one of the reasons which uh, inspired me to participate uh, with the writing of this book is due to the fact that our society must make their minds up. Don't come to me once little Timmy has been hemmed up. Come to me before he gets hemmed up. Due to the fact that it is twice as hard to free someone out of a prison than to at least save them before they go through that nightmare. And, you know, I'm not one that brags, but since my release in 2009 and being one of the organizers and administrators with the campaign to end the death penalty, uh, you know, the, the bottom line of it is is that this stuff should not have ever occurred. And what it has basically done is it, it literally destroyed the lives of many men and many women across the city of Chicago. And I was listening to your interview with Joan, and you had asked her, have these tortures ever occurred anywhere in the world to anyone else? And yes, it occurred to a young man by the name of Tyler, Gary Tyler out of Louisiana, who was a teenager who was taken down to a sheriff's department and he was literally tortured and as a child placed on death row. Mm. Yeah, that's, so, oh, wow. And it doesn't you know, surprise us that uh, America has this long bloody history and, and, and it really is, there is no integrity and that's why we like saying that it's actually the criminal injustice system instead of the criminal justice because there is no justice in America but you know and and you know yeah torture has uh, been going on for 
many, many, uh, many centuries actually. Um, we can go back to the days of slavery right here. We can go back even um, before that. So it's it's um, it's a long, torturous history, and um, we're glad you're here to contribute in um, in in educating the people because it's important um, that those who experience this torture uh, continue to speak out and continue to shed light and educate people on on what is going on in these these prisons and what is going on um, in these courts and in these um, dealing with these police we're starting to see things on the social media but um, it's very important for those who've gone through it you know you were in this in these dungeons for decades and um, you know you've dealt with it since you were a teenager as a child and I think that's a very powerful story um, that um, to be told and to educate people um, you know and, and 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 it is a survival story it's a story of of a survivor and um, you know I was also tortured as a child in you know solitary mm -hmm. confinement um, at the age of 12 so uh, I stand with you in unity and standing up to the torture and to the injustice and also I stand with you in educating the people um, until the last day when you cannot educate no more so yeah. but um, with that being said brother we have uh, a couple of more minutes and I'm gonna try to get uh, the wife on uh, the, the brother's wife on next so let me uh, let you go and I will definitely thank you for your your contribution to the book tortured by blue and uh, we look forward thank to you. having you back on the show again brother with some more education and enlightenment for the people so thank you thank you brother yes. uh, Mark and thank, thank you. you and may I just say this is very briefly I say this just like I said free Troy Davis I say free Rodney Reed mm. Also, Texas death row. Mm. Thank you, my brother. Free Ronnie Reed. Thank you, brother. And this is KEXU 96.1. Uh, this is JV, and you're listening to Free Aslan. And we're going to have some more music uh, in a couple of minutes.
is K and this is KEXU 96.1 FM. I'm JV and we're back on Free Aslan. And my f last and final guest, I want to introduce Michelle Howard. She is the wife of Stanley Howard, co-authored Tortured by Blue, creator uh, Death Row 10, uh, police torture victim uh, who was pardoned by Governor Ryan who spent 18 years on death row for a crime he did not commit. Uh, Michelle is a police torture activist and works as family liaison at Chicago Torture. She is literary agent for Tortured by Blue. Michelle, welcome to Free Aslan. Hello, and how are you? Oh, well, I'm doing much better having you on and... and and hearing your energy, your beautiful energy, Michelle, and thank you for joining us. It's just, it's, it's a beautiful yes, show. We, we are definitely on a different time zone. I'm in Florida right now, and oh. it is midnight here. Oh, okay. Well, hey, we're, we're going to bring you some sunshine then, Michelle. And, and, and the first thing we want to bring is we want to bring the sunshine from Tortured by Blue, this, this amazing book that came out that you know and your husband uh, was a part of this story and we just want to um, thank you for um, you know you and your husband for your contributions but what you know we've been talking to some of the other guests about what happened why it occurred how it was organized what it was like inside the prison how it is now and um, and, and it's beautiful uh, it's medicine. It's medicine for the people uh, to hear these um, ways that you all struggled and how people are continuing to resist. Um, so um, maybe you could talk to us about uh, the organizations that you're working with and how you're continuing to contribute uh, to fighting torture. How, how is this happening? What are you doing, Michelle? Okay, right now I'm working for the Chicago Torture Justice Center. And we are trying to get people together to help us to stop the police in Chicago, Illinois, from torturing other folks. We're, mm. we're doing rallies. We're having meetings, rally meetings every Saturday uh, of the month. And we're trying to get people to come in. Mm. We're trying to get people to come in to help us out. Oh, beautiful. And, and I, I would I would like to read the uh, the letter that Stanley wrote for you. Oh, absolutely! Read it, Michelle. Read it. Okay. It says, "My name is Stanley Howard, and I'm one of the authors of the exclusive new book Torture by Blue. I'm a Chicago police torture victim that's been in prison for 35 years, 16 of which was on Illinois death row." While on death row, I discovered that there were other guys on death row who were also claiming they had been tortured by some of the same group of cops that tortured me. They tortured me into signing a false confession to a murder I did not commit. After constantly being denied justice by the court, we decided to take our fight to the streets, to the people, in an effort to stop our execution. We call ourselves the Death Row 10, which unexpectedly caused the movement that got a lot of attention. Our fight led the governor party four members of the Death Row 10 and clearing out Illinois' Death Row in 2003. 
We're now on a mission to tell the world about the Chicago Police Torture Scandal, which is a great American tragedy that most people never heard of. Our book, Torture by Blue, is going to shock your conscience beyond belief. And it's going to teach you things about the criminal justice system from the four authors' point of view. The four authors' point of view of from this happening. Yeah. Who spent over 120 years in prison that's going to blow your mind. This fight isn't over. I'm still fighting from behind this wall. Please read Torture by Blue. Mm. Beautiful letter, beautiful words, powerful words, and uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, we've run out of time now, but you got his letter out, and Brother Stanley has a powerful message of continuing to resist. We need to get him out of that torture camp, and we need to make sure that all those tortured in Chicago and beyond Chicago uh, who are tortured by the pig need to be... Um, out of the concentration camps and we need to hold the pig accountable and they need to be brought to justice so I want to thank you uh, sister for coming on to free Aslan and know that uh, no matter where we are that Aslan stands with you and Stanley Howard and the death row 10 and we stand in unity with you and every other torture survivor I was tortured yes. and I am struggling right next to you sister you and Stanley so thank you once again for being on free Aslan and thank you for helping us and having us on the show Absolutely. Thank you, Michelle. People's power. And this is at KEXU 96.1 FM. I'm JV, and you are listening to Free Aslan. Oh.